Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of God. Good morning and welcome to Metro. My name is Justin and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we're very glad that you're here, whether it's your first time or it's been your hundredth time. From the beginning of the year, we've been uh, going through a series called The Meaning of the Church. And we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And if you haven't known, the majority of the people walking through the doors of Metro actually probably haven't been to church in a very long time. People who've been burned in the past, had bad experiences, dealt with difficult people, oppressive pastors. I have a cousin who still to this day will not step into um, a church because he feels as though the church that he and his parents attended in the past, uh, that they were using the church as a guise, exploiting its members by selling them electronics, headphones, and beauty products. It's like, what? So there are all kinds of reasons why people leave the church, and that's exactly why we're going through the series. We hope that those who hear get a chance to rediscover what the church is actually about and what it should be. And trust me, by no means is Metro even close to a perfect church. But we here, we hope to strive to be that kind of church that the Bible talks about. So again, if, if uh, this describes you in any way, your past or your present, we're so glad that you are here. We realize how difficult it can be to walk through those doors, take those first steps into Metro, and then those two very steep steps up here to where you are now. So again, thank you so much for coming. The topic for today's lesson is change. And this is something that's relevant to all of us. In fact, some of you might be here today because you're on your journey to change. You want to be a better person, and you're thinking, what better place is there to do it than at church? So there are many, many, many reasons for change. I've been getting into uh, Tupac lately, and uh, his renowned song, Changes, it talks about social justice and the realities of being black. He talks about the need for change, yet he doesn't see any change. On a more personal level, some of you might be looking in the mirror every single morning because your life, your job, your marriage, your finances, and even possibly the very core of who you thought you were are all falling apart right before you. And you're saying the same exact thing. Things need to change in my life. Yet every morning, the next morning, you wake up and all your attempts have failed 
and you're back to that same mirror saying the exact same thing. Something needs to change. But the question is, how? How? When you look at the idea of change, the first thing we have to realize is that change has to do with so much more than just changing up your routine, the way you act. Sometimes you're able to get away with small things here and there, tweaking things over there, but these are all surface things. Change actually has to do with the heart, with what's in your heart. The very reason why you live and you breathe. And that might sound kind of dramatic, but there's so much truth in that. You might be able to reorganize your life here and there, but if you're the same person on the inside, if you're living for the exact same things as you did, everything's going to slowly go back to the way it was. And you'll be back in front of that same mirror saying the exact same thing. Where did I fail this time? Our passage today talks about change. It talks about what it really means to affect true and lasting change in our lives. And I have three brief points to navigate us through this. And the first point is the power to change. The second is the practice of change. And the third is the purpose for change, which is the power, the practice, and the purpose for change. So the power to change. And what I mean by this is, what's the driving force behind your desire to change? What causes you to change? And I'm not talking about you wanting to change because you know you're in a bad place and, and maybe you want to improve your marriage and relationships with others. But what, what I'm talking about is what do you live for? At the very core of who you are, what are you chasing? And the reality is we're all chasing something. Is it significance? Is it, is it that you want meaning in your life? You want your life to, at the end of the day to mean something? Is it acceptance from the group of people you've always wanted to be in? Or maybe even it's your parents. Financial control, total security, the praise of others. You love it when, uh, when other people call your kids so cute and smart and so good. What is it that drives you to live? According to Paul, this drive to live for Christians comes with a new identity in Christ. It's this new identity in Christ that drives our will to live. So let me unpack this. The first word of our passage is therefore. And if you know anything about the English language, the word therefore prompts us to look at what comes prior because all that stuff that comes before actually fuels what's coming next. So up until this passage in the letter of Ephesians, Paul is reminding these Gentile Christians, and Gentiles are people who are not Jews or God's chosen people. For example, we are considered Gentiles. Paul is reminding them of what their identity was as Gentiles in contrast to their new identity now through the gospel. Paul tells us in chapter 1 that as Gentiles, we are to remember that at that time, you were separated from Christ without hope and without God in the world. At one time, we Gentiles were hopeless people, people who were doomed to die, people who had to live and work for significance and meaning in life. But the gospel... The gospel proclaims, but now 
in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In a uh, CNN interview with Walter Isaacson, who is the biographer of Apple's co-founder Steve Jobs, uh, Isaacson recalled a time during the research process in which uh, Steve Jobs discussed growing up as an adopted child. A fellow child told Steve once, hey, you know since you were adopted, it means your parents didn't want you. And Steve, stunned that he never put these two things together before, he was hurt and envious of his friends and immediately went home to question his adoptive parents about this. His adoptive parents listened to his feelings and calmly responded, no, Steve, we chose you. We specifically chose you. Ephesians 2 says, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Just as Jobs could have quickly despaired in hopelessness and the feeling of not being wanted, he was reassured that he was chosen, that he was specifically chosen by his adoptive parents. Now, now, Steve has a new revelation, a new perspective on life, that he wasn't unwanted. Rather, he was chosen. And in that same way, you, me, who were once hopeless, we now have an eternal hope. So if you're looking for significance, meaning, acceptance, security, and the praise of others, yes, absolutely. If you're looking for that in the world, absolutely you are hopeless because at the end of your life, at the end of the day, all you're going to be doing is chasing. Chasing, always chasing, but never fully happy. And your life is going to be filled with unrest and depression. Maybe some of you guys are going through that now. But you have a new identity. And that is why in the verses preceding ours today, Paul tells Gentiles to stop living like Gentiles. He says, Gentiles, stop living like Gentiles. What does that mean? A new identity. That means your past history has no more bearing on your life. I know many of us here probably have very uh, colorful histories. Brokenness in family relationships. Failed marriages. A long sexual past. Drug use. Kicked out of college. Maybe never even went to college abusive relationships in the past or maybe even now. All those things that still haunt you to this day, whatever it might be. Christ the King comes and says, lay those burdens down. Lay them down. You don't have to carry them any longer. Put on this new identity. This is you now. Someone loved and accepted, secured and lavished with grace. And all those burdens that you laid down, Christ took them upon himself. He marched up that hill and nailed it to the cross at the cost of his own life. This, the good news of the gospel, is your new identity. And it becomes the power to change. And this leads us to our second point, the practice of change. 
Now, harnessing this engine, the power to change, how do we actually change? How do we, how do we go about the way of change? And verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And honestly, it took me some time to try to understand what this means, but it literally means do not cause sadness and sorrow to the Holy Spirit. And we do this by refusing to see and to savor what the Spirit means to show us. We grieve the Holy Spirit by refusing to see and to savor what the Spirit means to show us. And the Holy Spirit is a helper that Christ sent after He left and returned back to where He came from. And the way the Spirit works in our lives is actually very, very practical. So here's uh, three things that the Spirit does to shine life and light into our lives. And the first one is the Holy Spirit exposes our sin hiding in dark places. Second, it illumines the Word into our hearts. And thirdly, it shows us Christ as our salvation. The Holy Spirit exposes our sin, it illumines the Word, and it shows us Christ as our salvation. So very quickly, the Holy Spirit exposes sin hiding in dark places. It's very easy to be blind by the very things that are so self-destructive in our lives. And the reason for this is because we naturally don't want to see it. We turn a blind eye to it. And this is probably the most difficult part of change. It's the, the painful process of identifying your sin because most of the time, the Holy Spirit provides other people in our lives, people who deeply care and sometimes people who don't care at all to expose our sins. That's what community dependence means. And sometimes the Spirit has to make it so painfully obvious to us because we are so hell-bent and not wanting to see that it feels like God has actually abandoned us, but in actuality, He is saving our lives. Some of these things might not seem big to begin with, but these things begin to grow and to grow. At times, God puts us through the fire, not because He wants to see us burn but because He wants to see us more purified. Purified to the point where He can see His own reflection in our lives. The Holy Spirit exposed the sin hiding in dark places. Secondly, the Holy Spirit illumines the Word into our hearts. After people heard what Jesus was teaching and proclaiming, many disciples left Him because some of these things that he was saying was way too hard to hear. But then he asked a few, do you want to leave too? But they said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. For many of us here, this is probably the hardest part of change. The desire to read the Bible. Getting yourself to want to read the Bible every single day, or maybe even like once a week. Some of us here have lives that are so ridiculously busy that you don't ever have time to sit on the couch and just relax. I know for parents with young children, this is definitely the case. In light of Father's Day, for you dads, you come home from a long day's work hoping to just chill, but you know from the moment that you enter into those doors of your house, you're coming into chaos. A war zone. You come in and there are literally times when all hell is breaking loose. 
The younger one is screaming and, and crying in the jump room while the older one is knocking things all over the counter thinking that he's helping mom make dinner, but he's just making it worse. During dinner, mom and dad have to, and to be honest, it's, it's mainly moms trying to feed the kids, barely able to get a bite in for herself while dad is trying to cram food as quickly as possible so that he can take one of the kids. After dinner, one parent keeps the kids busy while the other cleans up dinner and washes dishes. And before it's 8 p.m., and it's time to get the kids ready for bed. And once the kids are finally in bed sleeping, it's 9 p.m., and mom and dad haven't been able to, able to spend a minute for themselves or with each other. Do you think someone wants to read the Bible after that? And you ask, oh, wait, what about, what about in the morning time? You can get up a little early. Little do you know that one of these little tiny monsters, which of course you love to the moon and back, will probably wake up at 2 a.m. and won't fall back asleep until 3.30 a.m., while the other one wakes up at 6 in the morning crying for iPad. Do you think someone wants to read the Bible after this? Shout out to all my dads out there. Much love. You're probably, and moms too, much love, mom, moms. You're probably, although you may not have two kids, or any kids for that matter, sometimes life can often feel like this. You're probably asking, how does anyone keep sane during this time? Oh, parents, expecting parents, couples, singles, this is the very reason why we need the words of eternal life. When everything around us is sucking life out of us, we need something greater to pour life into us. We need reminders that the Lord knows the struggle and the toil of the daily grind of life. We need to be reminded that the Lord hears when in the midst of all this craziness with the kids, your marriage is barely treading water. We need to hear the Lord reassure us that life is much more than kids, work, relationship, and money. The work of the Spirit is to bring the words of Scripture to life in our lives. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit shows us Christ as our salvation. And this is what Christian life all hinges on. It should always bring us to the reality that Christ is our only hope and salvation. Without this, with all this change in our lives, it's so easy to become arrogant and prideful. The undeserving love and grace of Christ must always be the driving force behind the change. So these are the three things that the Spirit does in our lives. However, there's one more aspect of the practice of change that we cannot forget. All these things that we just talked about regarding the three things the Spirit does in our lives can be described as a passive act, meaning that there's nothing that we necessarily do. The Spirit is the one who works in our lives. But in our passage today, Paul clearly outlines an active part of this process where from this work of the Spirit in our lives, we respond proactively against our sin. Paul calls us to a life of continual turning and repenting. Thankfully, I won't be able to go into much detail through all these different characteristics um, since we'll be going through a series on this very passage next year. But let me give you a very 
high-level, 5,000-feet uh, flyover of some of these active, life-changing things. Verse 25 in our passage says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Paul is saying not only put off falsehood, he's saying actively speak the truth in your life. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And there are times when we are rightfully angry, but when we allow this anger to brew and to incubate in our hearts without confronting the issue, there is a point where that righteous anger turns into bitterness and hatred and sin. Paul says, don't allow the devil to take advantage of this moment and twist these things, but resolve it before the sun goes down and restore peace. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. And although you might not be physically stealing something, Paul says that rather than exploiting people for your own personal gain, do honest work so that you could give and not take. And we can keep going down this list, but the bottom line is this. Many of us think we're changing. You know, we're allowing people into our lives. We're grabbing meals with people. We have people speaking truth into our lives often. We read Scripture daily. Yet, what good is all of this when we continue to gossip about those around us, exploit and use others, continue to tear people down with our words, still hold deep grudges against others, continuing to lash out on others for not meeting our expectations? All these things are of no good. And that is why it is imperative to closely follow the passive work of the Spirit in our lives with a living and active turning from sin each and every day. So in light of that passive and active approach to change, some of us might be asking, how do we know when the gospel has really changed me? J.R.R. Tolkien spoke of the difference between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings series. The Hobbit is an adventure, but The Lord of the Rings is a quest. An adventure is a there and back again. You go off to an adventure because you need to change up your routine, add a little spice to your life, but then you return back home to your old life as if nothing had ever changed. But a quest, a quest is different. A quest is different because a quest is not something that you choose, but it chooses you. A quest is something you probably weren't even looking for, but now that it has come to you, you sense the gravity and requirement of it, and you know that it'll change your life forever. You put it a different way, after a quest, you don't come back. You either die on the quest, or if you do come back, you're never the same, at least not the same person that you used to be. The way you know that the gospel has really changed you is when you look back and you realize that you're not the same. If you've read or watched The Lord of the Rings, there's a profound difference between when Frodo first leaves the Shire and when he comes back after the Ring of Power is destroyed. He's been through more than he thought he would ever. Plenty of suffering but also very deep joys as well. 
This process of change can be slow for some and for others it might be a life-changing moment but regardless you look back and you see how far you've come through suffering and joy. One very practical way to find out if you've been changing might be asking the brothers and sisters around you and giving them the warrant to speak truthfully to you to see yes in the last two three four five years I've seen growth in your life or maybe brother I haven't seen any change you might be surprised by what you might hear this is the practice of real and lasting change and that brings us to our third point the purpose for change in other words why do we change what's the purpose of it what's the goal for change in our lives and Paul tells us that ultimately we grow and change for the benefit of others for those around us to be a blessing to others for the building up of the church Notice the outward language that Paul continues to use almost after every point. Verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Verse 28, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In all that we do, we are called to turn from our sin or put off the old self and to put on the new for the benefit of others. This is actually the fruit of Christian life. Yes, Paul calls us to turn from our sin and turn to Christ, trusting and hoping in Him while the Spirit transforms us more and more to be like Christ. But to what end? It's to do as Christ did to live for the sake of the disciples around him. Not only did he live for them, he ultimately died for them. Not only did he die, but he was resurrected from the grave to give life to us and the people around him. The very reason why Christ, the infinite God, became finite was to bring not only life, but infinite life to those he would serve. The very purpose of his life was to live for others. In the act of filling us with all life and blessing on the cross, he completely emptied himself of all life and blessing. As just before he took his last breath, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? as the fountain of, fathers, of the Father's grace and love turned and began pouring holy on us, holy, undeserving people, all that blessing that Christ wholly deserved ceased to flow unto Him. 
Living for others requires great self-sacrifice. In fact, if you think that you're living for others while not sacrificing anything yourself, you're not living for others. You're living for yourself. And the message of the gospel is that Christ lived for you at the cost of his own life. Brothers and sisters, Paul does not give us this call lightly. He understands how difficult it is for broken and naturally selfish sinners and people like us to live outward lives. And honestly, I don't need to explain to a lot of you examples of brokenness in the church because that's the very reason why you left the church in the first place. But let me remind you of this. The makeup of the people in church is no different from the makeup of the people outside of the church. The difference is hopefully that those in the church can more readily admit their brokenness and sin, knowing that the Lord can use even those who are completely broken and shattered for His ultimate purpose. Why do you think Paul ends this passage by saying, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you? It's because there will be backstabbing in the church. There will be hypocrisy, lying, stealing, gossiping, heartbreak, and deception. Paul's use of the word anger in verse 31 refers to righteous anger, meaning when you have other people wrongfully hurt you. But even in the midst of all this sin and brokenness, maybe even things happening to you, the greatest expression of the gospel is responding to these things in compassion and forgiveness. Just as Christ not only expressed to you 2,000 years ago on the cross, but he continues to express to you each and every day as we continue to backstab him, lie, steal, deceive him, and cause sorrow and heartbreak to him. One author said this, we often surround ourselves with people we most want to live with, thus forming a club or a clique, not a community. Anyone can form a club. It takes grace, shared vision, and hard work to form a community. You know, much of what the church is called to is a life of collective sacrifice and expressing grace and forgiveness to those people around us. And to be honest, when you look at a church, the expression of the gospel is not found in how many people are at the church and how fast it grows. The expression is how many people continue to stay at the church, even through difficulty and turmoil. Because you're forced to express grace and forgiveness to the people around you. Let me end by... Uh, this quote from an old Christian scholar named B.B. Warfield regarding a life changed by the gospel. Christ was led by his love for others into the world to forget himself in the needs of others, to sacrifice himself once for all upon the altar of compassion. Self-sacrifice brought Christ into the world and self-sacrifice will lead us, his followers, not away from, but into the midst of men. Whenever men suffer, there we will be to comfort. 
Wherever men strive, there we will be to help. Wherever men fail, there we will be to uplift. Wherever men succeed, there we will be to rejoice. Self-sacrifice does not mean indifference to the world and our brothers and sisters around us. It means that we become absorbed into them. It means forgetfulness of self in others. It means entering into every man's hopes and fears, longings and despair. It means not that we should live one life, but a thousand lives, binding ourselves to a thousand souls around us by the thread of so loving a compassion that their life becomes our life. The way you know that the gospel has truly changed you is that you don't live one life for yourself, but you live a thousand lives, binding your one life with a thousand people around you into their hopes, dreams, fears, failures, that their life becomes yours. That when they ache, you ache. When they rejoice, you rejoice. When they weep, you weep. And when they're about to give up on life, you point them to Christ and you share this treasure that we sang about earlier that you have found in the gospel. The treasure of complete security in Christ. He says, I know what you did yesterday. I know what you did last night. I know that you failed this entire week. But all that brokenness, all that sin, all that guilt, all that shame, I have already paid for. Just come to me and rest. Find freedom. Friends, as we seek to live changed lives, may we never take our eyes off of Christ, the one who had joyfully traded life for death so that we can trade in our sins for a crown. Let's pray.